This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Architects still communicate their designs through the use of graphics, and there are a lot of different formats, mediums, and techniques that are up for consideration. Architecture graphics is always a hot topic, and if I've learned anything over the last 12 years of writing articles for Life of an Architect, it's that sketching and architectural visualization is the hottest of topics. Join us today as Andrew and I wade into the fast-moving waters that is architectural graphics. Welcome to episode 117, Graphic Matters. Today's episode is generously brought to you with support from Peterson, manufacturer of pack-clad architectural metal cladding systems. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to be talking about graphics and as much of what that entails over the next hour. We should start by saying that architectural graphics and how they're used typically varies depending on the message being conveyed. So before we get into all the the sexiness that is architectural graphics, yeah, I feel like it should be obvious once I say it, but just to make sure it's on the table. The way that we're talking about graphics today has to do with the message and like how, what type of graphics do you use and why you would use it based on the message being conveyed and the phase of the work that's being depicted. Meaning you might be explaining to someone the abilities of your firm or selling your client on an idea or articulating an in-depth concept to the client or trying to tell the contractor what it is you're hoping to achieve in your drawings. Yeah. Or providing some instructions on how to build the building. Yes. Each one of those could possibly use a drastically different type of architectural graphic style. Mm -hmm. So when we were trying to think, okay, what do we want to talk about? Other than the fact that it's the new year and uh, I debated for a minute going, Andy, should we talk resolutions for a minute? No, I mean, that's fine. It would be really short. I've got zero. So it's zero. Is that because you know that you won't do them? So you don't make them? No, I just, I don't know. I'm not big on resolutions, I guess. Not ever really been my thing. My resolution is to just do better. You know, that's it. Whatever that may be. Yeah. That's not a new year thing. That's an everyday thing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's a, so. Yeah. I'm not a resolution guy either, to be honest with you. Because the reality is, is nobody ever accomplishes them unless they're not really worth pursuing. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to eat less pizza in the next week. Nailed yeah, it. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. Yeah. My resolution is to wear even more black. <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah, I know. To buy a shirt of a different color. If I can accomplish that this year, that's a resolution. Man. You're giving yourself <laughs> the whole year to pull that off, too? I know, right? Yeah. I mean- You might just procrastinate and all of a sudden it's the last week of 2023 and you're like, oh God, I haven't accomplished my goal for the year. (laughs) But if I don't, it's fine. It falls into those resolutions that don't really happen. Oh gosh. Okay. (laughs) All right. So see, that's why we decided not to really focus on resolutions as part of today's show. We're not those guys. No, we're not those guys. So architectural graphics, sketching, visualization, those are all topics that have been covered extensively on the website 
over the last decade, but we've only addressed the topic in small bits and pieces here on the podcast. So I did a little time. I think you did this too, Andrew. Yeah, I was looking back. This afternoon, as I was putting together my notes for the show so that I could remember my little trail of breadcrumbs on what point I was trying to make, I went and did a search. And I looked on the podcast, and we have four shows that we've done where some sort of graphic delineation aspect was covered. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. The first one was episode three, titled very plainly, Sketching. Yeah, I'm out. I didn't even get to participate now. And Andrew wasn't there for that one. Wah, wah. <laughs> but then we jumped to episode 59 when we had Alex Hograve on. And it was architectural visualization. Yeah, yeah. Where I learned to stop calling them renders. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We learned a little bit about uh, terminology. Yeah. You know, we don't want to be offensive to the people that put a lot of time and effort into the work. So episode 66 was architects and sketching. I don't know how it was different from episode three, but it was. But it, was, it wasn't on graphics. It was like pen weight. <laughs> You know, markers. It was like, you know, it was actually the yeah. act of sketching. And the act of sketching. Yeah. And then, so here's what I find interesting. Episode 90, the most current on this list, was titled Architectural Graphics 101. And that was actually pretty close to kind of the topic that I think we're kind of wading into today. But even then, there were some pretty significant differences between that show and what I have down to talk about for today's show. So I feel like we're not having to deal with too much overlap. Yeah. The last one, episode 90, was pretty, I want to say it was technical. I mean, we were talking a lot about tools and yeah. those more technical aspects of about making graphics, and we're not quite headed that direction, I think, today. Yeah. Well, I mean, you never know. We'll see what rabbit yeah. holes our own topic brings us down. And I would add episode 99 to that one where it was construction drawings. Kind of falls into that. Yeah. Not quite, but sort of, right? I mean, it was, it's borderline. Yeah, I get that. Again, none of these are like straight up what today's topic is. Yeah, no. We're working no. the edges of the topic on all these yeah. other ones. So now we're trying to say, let's zero in. That seems to be what we're doing this year. Because <laughs> like the last episode, Workaholic, that was about zeroing in on the amount of time and effort and energy that architects put towards their job. Mm-hmm. Again, something we'd talked about on the fringes and few episodes. Periphery of those things, yeah. Yeah. I just want to say we're not setting a precedent about this is the year of zeroing in. We can't we can set ourselves up like that already. No, yeah. can't do that. Okay, so here's the other thing I did. I did a search on the website, and there's probably about 17 articles. I mean, it kind of seemed like a lot at first, but I was like, I have over 1,100 on the website. So yeah. 17 out of 1,100, I'm thinking, okay, I seem to be covering it an appropriate amount. And I should say, in my own defense, they're wildly popular. I know that that's one of those things that that's what people want. I don't want to say that that's what they want from me because I think I have a few more facets than just that one thing, but I'm telling you, I went on to Google Analytics. You don't know this. This is this hot off of the, the interwebs here. Oh, okay. All right. So I went on to, so I was trying to make sure that, you know, we don't repeat ourselves as little as possible on some of these topics. So I went on to Google Analytics to search my own website yeah. to find out what we've been talking about. And actually, what do people want? I mean, I want to be topical and I want to be 
relevant in the moment in which we're speaking. But I also want to be cognizant that, hey, there's an interest in certain topics, and let's try to mix those topics into our rotation. Mm -hmm. By far, I'm stunned to admit this, by far the most popular ones that I've done are the, the drawing series. Like when I talk about cover sheets or window schedules. The Graphics 101 series, yeah. Yeah, the Architectural Graphics 101. Yeah. As a blog post series, that one is the titan of all topics. Yeah. I mean, it's always on the top when you go to the website and the top posts are over there. It's almost always those. Always. I feel like I need to go in there and change the graphics so that at least mix it up for people. Like every time they come, it's the same seven. Just a new cover image or something so it looks a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's funny because when I was doing the search, I go, when you look at it like this, you realize sometimes just like how clever you're not. At least I'm <laughs> speaking about myself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this goes from 2010 to 2022. This is 12 years mm-hmm. of articles, 1100. Some of the titles I have for these are Sketching is Hard, <laughs> Sketching Details. Yeah. Man versus Machine. Then I have the Architectural Sketch Series. And there's a bunch in that one. But that's not really about how to sketch or why you sketch. It's like, here's what I sketched and why I did it sort of thing. Oh, yeah. There was Sketchapalooza 1 and 2. I mean, wow. Had to bring that one back. Wow. <laughs> we had to bring up Paloozas. We had Architectural Sketchbooks. How to Sketch Like Me. That's cocky. Hmm. <laughs> And you know what? It's not even my style. I always give credit to a guy named John Cathal. Mm -hmm. And he always messages me after he hears it. He goes, dude, I learned it from somebody else. And I go, whatever. You taught me, so you get the credit. Yeah. It goes (laughs) somewhere, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And then this is the one that kills me. I have architectural sketches and then architectural sketching. Like, what's the difference? It's a variable there. Other than an E and an S and an I and N G. (laughs) And then your sketches speak for yourself. And I bet most of those are actually, they all still hold up. They're all still pretty good. So sketching's your thing. I got a lot of them and they're pretty good. So I went, okay, we really got to dial in and let's talk about graphics. Because I don't think I'm going on a limb to say people like it. And I don't think I'm crazy to say that graphics and the art of visual communication are vitally important to the architectural industry. I don't think I've gone a day in my professional life without having some conversation about using or creating graphics to help execute whatever task I currently have at hand. Every day, there's at least one thing. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. Yeah. I think it's one of those things I also think it's just really part of how we communicate as architects. We've had this conversation before about trying to sketch out what a an old-fashioned donut looks like or the cross that, you know, these kind of things where it's like, well, what is that? Or what are you talking about? That may not be architecture related, but somehow our way to communicate what things are is like, here, let me show you. I'll draw a picture of it or I'll sketch out what it's supposed to be. Or this is the idea that I've got about whatever. Yeah. The time space continuum, but I can draw it better than I can talk about it. You know? I feel like that's a deep cut. Not everybody might know the old-fashioned yeah. donut. So here it is. I'll hijack the podcast for 20 seconds. <laughs> There was a guy in my office. We were all going to get donuts. And we're like, you got to make sure you get this old-fashioned donut because that's what, that's what the big guy likes. And he's like, what's an old-fashioned donut? And I was trying to describe it. And I went, hold on. 
And I grabbed pen and a piece of paper and I was going to sketch it. And he goes, uh, we could just look it up on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. interestingly enough, that guy, Jonathan Cathol, that I mentioned just like a minute ago, yeah, he actually did a drawing of all these different donuts with cross sections. It like ended up in his Instagram feed. It was hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. Okay, so we kind of talked about what we're going to be talking about and why we think it matters and maybe some of the ground we're going to be covering. But there's a couple sections in particular that I don't think anybody's going to see coming. And we're going to start with the first one, which is the education process. And you're like, what does the education process have to do with graphics and what you would use and when you would use it? Well, when are you supposed to learn some of these things? Because, and the reason I put this as a topic for today's conversation is because I have a professor of architecture on the show today. So, you got, we got a guest? <laughs> uh, yeah, hilarious. And I don't want to play the, oh, back in my days when I carried a loose leaf binder to work, you know, to school both ways and fought bears. Like, not that. Yeah. I mean, it was been a while. Okay, well, just, we'll just get past that. Sure. But I had classes that specifically taught me how to create these different types of graphics. I had sketching classes. I had life drawing classes. I had color theory. And, and it was a dedicated studio. You know, once you got past, I want to say it was really past, it was like a first year secondary studio. So like every year I was in architect school, we had design studio. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, they were five hour long classes, yeah, three days a week. Yeah. Normally it was one to six, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's how it worked for the most part. Mm-hmm. Sure. As a freshman, there was a three hour studio on Tuesdays and Thursdays for the sole purpose of graphic communication, mm-hmm. dedicated a hundred percent to like, I think I've told the story before. I mean, I've told the story a lot of times. It had to do it's, with- I know you have, but No, you don't. <laughs> do you know the tertiary color wheel story? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Whatever. You're going to say that anyway now. They're like, hey, everybody, you need to make a tertiary level color wheel using found objects. And it was Friday afternoon. They're like, have it by Monday morning. And I was in the band at the time. And I'm like, wait, I got to go to Auburn for school. Like, I'm not just goofing off. I'm literally. Mm-hmm. And they're like, don't care. <laughs> and that's when I was stealing flowers out of people's front yards kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, so we had these classes that were dedicated to help us understand graphics and scale and proportion and line weight and drawing and shading and rendering. And when do you use white glue and rubber cement? and like. They taught us how to do stuff in those classes. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that that happens so much anymore. It does. Liar. Just not as much. No. Yeah. At least at my university, we do have that class. It used to be two classes, one in the fall and one in the spring semester of your freshman year. Mm-hmm. Or your first year of architecture school, I should say. Now it's only the first semester of your first year of architecture school. There is a course, Visual Communications 1. That's what it is. Wait, hold on. You have Visual Communications 1, mm-hmm. but there's not a 2? So it's just Visual Communication. Yeah. Well, but no, that's a whole other story, but it's still Visual Communications 1 because there used to be a 2. But that is the purpose of that class is to learn all of those things about graphic representation. And a lot of it, I don't know that it's changed much because it's still like, what's a plan? What's a section? How do they relate to each other? What's an elevation? 
How do you diagram things? Let's talk about line weight. Let's talk about color theory. I guess two years ago or three years ago, I was the actual coordinator of that class and I revamped the curriculum. So I'm, I know that that class exists because I was in charge of it mm. and had to redo all that. And you didn't drop the one when you were in charge of it. I don't have control over the one. That's a <laughs> university level thing. But I think the difference between now and, and when we were in school is that there is an element of digital instruction in that class. We teach Photoshop. We teach Illustrator, the basic things that they need to learn. So the way that course progressed was you started out doing things by hand and learned how to do stuff by hand and then figured out how to do those same things digitally. And then some point there was even some hybrid stuff of digital stuff with handwork over the top of it and these kind of mixed media. But it was all, it's all about graphic communication of architectural ideas. I mean, that's pretty amazing because you're covering a lot of ground in one semester. It's a whole lot. It is a whole lot. It's a two and a half hour course. The way that it started to work, though, is it's now a, it's a support class with their first year design studio. And so a lot of the things like they're not having to make a whole new project to draw elevations or sections or build models of or whatever they're. It's doing that to help support their design studio. And we're using the stuff that they're making in there to help understand how do I graphically represent, oh, you built this model in the studio. Well, how do we draw that? Or how do we translate that into two-dimensional things or you know, vice versa? Right. So it still happens. And I also know that it happens in the graduate level career change program. There's a semester class that's visual communication that's taught very similar. So I mean, it's, it's still there. It's just not quite probably as drawn out. No pun intended. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> nice. I didn't even think about that. Or as rigorous in the sense of like the whole first year, you get much more ingrained and this is what I'm doing and I have more time to practice where I know that in a semester, it is almost like drinking out of the fire hose. Like, here, we're going to teach you how to do all this stuff and hope that you remember it because this is the only time you're going to it's going to get emphasized. All right, let me ask a question because speaking from my own experience, we had no computer software mm -hmm. at all. So we didn't have to learn Illustrator or Photoshop or SketchUp yeah. or Rhino or Revit or any of those things. And, yeah. and I'm wondering, did they just remove life drawing and add Illustrator slash Photoshop to like the curriculum? Probably. Interesting. Granted, when I was in school, I didn't have life drawing. You didn't? Mm -mm. I took it in grad school as an elective course, but it wasn't a requirement in my undergrad. I had visual communication stuff, but it was not, we didn't take like life drawing. Well, I feel like I should say, it's not like I had a semester of life drawing. We're like, oh, for two weeks, part of oh, what we're going to do when I we come you. to class, we're going to do this. So get your Conte crayons, get your, yeah. your paper. And we did it for a while. Yeah. Because same kind of thing. They're trying to cover a lot of ground and teach you a lot of things. But I didn't have the extra baggage of all the software. Mm -hmm. You know, what was interesting is, and I imagine all this is continues to evolve because, you know, I'm on the advisory council for the School of Architecture for UT down in Austin. Mm -hmm. And we have conversations about the efforts that they go into to prepare the students to be more day one ready. Workforce ready. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the people that are on the board, the people that give money to the school, they know that they're getting a product and they're helping kind of really to help create this product to a certain extent. And the market is demanding that they know software Mm -hmm. in certain ways. Like we want the kids to come out knowing Revit, for example. Yeah. And what's kind of amazing about that, and this is the same school. I had a guy, I think he graduated valedictorian in the class. He worked for us for a couple of years. He taught himself Revit. There wasn't a class. Now, obviously, the valedictorian might have been a clue. He basically just got the book and taught himself Revit, like, over the weekend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He was a savant in some ways, to be sure. But I've talked to one of my employees today. She's awesome. She came from an SEC school. And I told her what we were talking about. I go, did you get any of this stuff? And she's like, no, we didn't get that. Yeah. They didn't get that kind of training. I mean, we don't get... Revit or Rhino, we don't get production tools. I mean, I don't count Illustrator and Photoshop as production tools. Those are graphic tools, I think. Sure. And so that's what we get into. We don't offer those kinds of courses for sure. It may get touched on in some classes, and there are some professors that emphasize those things more, Mm. but there's not a specific, all right, you're going to take Revit 101 this semester, or even you're going to take Software 101, and we're going to spend Four weeks on this, four weeks on that, four weeks on this. We don't have that at all, for sure. Doesn't that seem like, I don't really like what I'm about to say, but I can't help but acknowledge that shouldn't maybe schools offer that? What are these kids supposed to do? Go to the learning annex? Go to a different school that's trade school to learn this? Watch YouTube videos? Just, I don't know, figure it out. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a tough thing because I've wanted to try to teach it in some of my classes, but the other things that they're required to learn and understand doesn't always allow time for you to work in software competency. It's a difficult thing to balance. And again, I think I can promise you my attitude has changed from when I was hiring people to now that I'm teaching them. Mm -hmm. I was exactly like, I'm like, man, they should just have a class in this because you guys don't know anything. And now it's like, I almost feel like it would be somewhat of a disservice in a way to just have a whole course dedicated to it. Yeah, because they're having to give up something to yeah. as a result of, if you want to take that class, that means you're not taking this class. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the problem, at least where I'm at, the degree hours have gotten compressed. And that's when they lost those courses. That's when we lost a, an additional visual communication course. That's when they lost a software course. Because when I was in school, there was a software course. Like I took a full semester of AutoCAD, release nine or whatever the crap it was back then. That I learned AutoCAD. That was the whole semester. Was it like a Roman numeral nine because you're so old? <laughs> yeah. It's on a stone tablet. But we just don't have those things anymore. I mean, but it's also like, because we used to have a giant computer lab in the building, and there's not a computer lab in the building anymore. Yeah. Students are just expected to have a computer. So guess what? You can YouTube it. I've started a collection of training videos that I've vetted. Mm-hmm. essentially on YouTube for like Photoshop and Revit to go, okay, if you need some help, go look at these. They're doing things correctly and in a way that you should so that they're not having to go Google search something that's terrible and come up with garbage. But, you know, the other thing about it is that things like Revit, every firm uses it differently, oddly enough. It's not quite as simple as AutoCAD to say, well, you know, if you're drawing a line, you're drawing a line. It may be a different layer, but it all works the same. Revit doesn't work that way. But general knowledge is still really important, I think. So 
let's move on from the education process. Because you know what? I don't want to hold it out that back in the 1990s when I was going through my education in the later 1990s when you were getting your education in the 2020-somethings when you're teaching, we know that it's different. We know that it varies. And we know that it exists in some schools. But I don't want to hold out your school as an example of, oh, they're not doing it and everyone else is. Because you know what? For the most part, what you described is what everybody's getting right now. Yeah, I would think so. Pretty close. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are joined today by Brandon Jackson, Southeast Regional Sales Manager for Peterson, maker of pack-clad architectural metal cladding systems. Brandon has been with Peterson since 2005 and in the construction industry his entire career. He has held sales positions, and he now manages all sales in the southeastern U.S. Hi, Brandon. Thank you for being with us here today. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for allowing me to come on. Well, we're here to talk about perforated metal panels this morning, something that, you know what, I have a love and a fear of metal panels. So I want to talk to you about perforated metal panels. Are you up for that? Yes, sir. Okay, so let me tell you, I love the way that you can use these things and the kind of design options that they provide you, but I always have some concern that, ooh, if I don't get the spacing right, or is it going to look right? Is it going to look flat? Is it going to look the way I I like it? I've looked at the Peterson perforated metal panels brochure a thousand times in my life, probably, and I've ordered a million samples from you guys. And I got to tell you, it's a pretty nice product. Yeah, we put a lot of time actually in that brochure. Rob Hesselbarth, our marketing director, has got with a lot of the sales team and created this brochure with multiple samples as well as examples of our corrugated panel line. Well, you know, a lot of times when you think of perforated panels, you can think of typical applications like equipment screens or partition side panels. You can use them inside for acoustic treatments. There's a lot of flexibility, but I want to talk about the different panels that Peterson makes and which of those panels you can get perforated panels in those patterns. Of course, we've got two separate types of panels. We have a hidden fastener panel, and we also have exposed fastener panels, which are kind of the old school screw down panels that you typically are using in equipment screens. Exposed fastener panels are be your traditional panels, like your M panel, R panel, as well as maybe an S corrugated panel, which uses a neoprene washer and a screw that we actually attach into the subsystem. While the hidden fastener panel, the fastener is actually hidden behind the panel, so there would be no exposed fasteners whatsoever. We have our flush panel, a reveal panel, our entire Highline series, and box for panel. All those panels can be perforated using our large aluminum offering, probably the largest in the industry. You're not limited by the perforation that you find in the catalog. Actually, any perforation, as long as it remains under 51% open air, can be used. That's interesting because I know that, I mean, correct me if I don't remember this correctly, but in the brochure, I think it says, hey, your perforation panels range from, I don't know, like an eighth of an inch up to like three eighths of an inch. But you're telling me that there's even more options available to us. Yes, sir. There's a 51% open air. Now, not every single panel can be perforated there. We're, we're limited by certain panel profiles. They have to have been quite rigid, but our max open air is 51%. We've done that with the 7 8 rib and the, also the 7.2 rib panels. Oh, that's interesting. So you'd mentioned it. I want to make sure that everyone understands that they get it. So you're only using aluminum when you're perforating the panels. The steel panels you make, you cannot get perforated. We do not perforate any steel products whatsoever, only aluminum. All right. Well, that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about if I want to perforate a panel, I come to you guys, 
what sort of options do I have from a design standpoint in terms of size and spacing and staggered and offsets, those sorts of things? Firstly, most people pick out of this catalog through the A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Those are our typical patterns, but you're really not limited necessarily by those whatsoever. If you're doing equipment screen and the engineer calls for a certain open area, we can work with our perforating vendor and actually help design that for you. As long as the metal will allow it, we're not limited by these particular patterns here. These are just the most common patterns we see in construction. Well, I would assume, given the options and the amount of engineering goes into this, that this is not necessarily a bad thing. I think it would be expected, but I would imagine there's an extra lead time and there's some additional cost to just buying this because it's not pre-made just sitting on a shelf somewhere. Correct. We have the solid coil sitting in our shop. We then process that coil and ship it out to get the, to our perforator, a third-party vendor, who then perforates the pattern that is needed for the project, and then he sends it back, and then we form the panels. That, of course, accrues lead time as well as an extra cost. So when we get these perforated panels sent to us, do they have the same warranty that the non-perforated panels? What kind of warranty do these panels have? All of our panels will carry a 30-year finish warranty. Ooh, nice. And finishes. Oh, wow. Perforated or not. Speaking of that, is there any restrictions? Because I know one of the great things about Peterson is they have a huge selection of finishes that you can get on these panels. Is there any difference if I perforate it on any finishes that are not available? Steel will not be used. Any of our products that you find on our color chart that are made in aluminum can be perforated. Brandon, thanks for taking time out of your day today to visit with us. We appreciate you coming online and answering some questions. Not a problem, Bob. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. Visit pack-clad.com, send an email to info at pack-clad.com, or call 800-PAC-CLAD to find your local representative. You can also visit pack-clad.com and find your local rep at the top of the website. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Brandon. Take care. So let's move on to the next major section that we've got so we can have a little variety to the topic. And I have on here graphic types. Again, this is just kind of notes that I was making myself about the different type of graphics that you can make. And this was not intended to be exhaustive. This had more to do with like, not the output of the process, but the process. So for example, I have a section sketching, like old school sketching. Mm -hmm. It happens. doesn't happen as much as it used to, but it does still happen. I would say it doesn't happen as much as it should, but yeah, that's just me being an old guy. <laughs> yeah. I get really cautious about standing on the box, shaking my pencil at somebody saying sketching is it's important. I mean, I believe that it is. Because I think it puts you in the room. I still believe that. But at the same time, actually tonight, I was at an event tonight before we recorded this. One of the women that I work with, we were at, it was a business development thing. She was talking about, she was in a meeting. She's sitting in her seat. And to her left was a guy who's probably, I don't know, 20 years older than she is. Who can draw perspectives mm. like you can't believe. I mean, it's just, yeah, this is what he does. And to the right was another guy with a, a computer and he was modeling in SketchUp and it's almost like they had a race. Yeah. And, and she's like, yeah, the hand sketch guy destroyed the SketchUp guy, mm -hmm. but it's not like it was come back next week and the SketchUp guy will be done. No, 
But the difference is, depending on the type of drawing, that what you're trying to accomplish, the sketching, the kind of gaps in information that sketches provide, your brain fills in in a way that's different than if you look at a computer model. Mm -hmm. I don't think people's brains fill in the holes in computer models the way they do in sketches. Yeah. You know. Well, and my thing about sketching, we talked about it a little bit before we started, but it has its place in the process. Yeah. Because if it's early on and there's this whole, let's, well, let's come up with 20 concepts. I can come up with 20 concepts sketching way faster than I don't care who they are, proficiency in SketchUp. Yeah. I can come up with 20 iterations in two minutes when they won't have the same thing. I mean, to me, that's where I'm saying. I'm not saying it belongs everywhere, but there's points where being able to do it is much more beneficial. Well, I was trying to think of when I sketch. I sketch in the very beginning. Yeah. And I sketch during construction documents when I'm problem solving. Working through stuff, yeah. And that's it. That's, well, I mean, I sketch when I'm in design meetings. If I'm sitting in front of the client, and actually, I know I have a call with a client tomorrow, and it's going to be remote. I'm going to call in from my desk, and from my, I'm going to call in from my desk from my laptop, but I'm also going to join the meeting from my iPad. Mm -hmm. So that way I can keep my face on screen, but share my iPad screen. And I'm going to work inside Morfolio Trace and pull up the drawings that we've done. And I'm going to draw on top of them as we're talking. Mm -hmm. So when I say right here, I will circle it and then I'll tap it, double tap and it'll erase it. Yeah. And he can keep up and he doesn't have to watch my cursor. If I go, we're going to walk this direction. I want to draw an arrow or a swoopy mark. Yeah. Right. Not only does it help with the communication, it also helps with the retention. He's hearing it and he's seeing it. So it helps. There's a level of understanding that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. One of the other categories I have on here is, I just mentioned, is digital sketching, which I still haven't gotten. And I've been working in Morfolio Trace now and on my iPad for a year, actually a little more than a year now, mm -hmm. 14 months. And I've gotten a lot better at it. But there are times when I definitely treat how I sketch when I use software programs like Procreate or Morfolio Trace than if I'm just using a piece of paper and a pen. Yeah. Because I'm starting to think, oh, I got layers. So I want to draw this on that layer. And it's just like there's more software kind of interface that's built into my thought process that doesn't exist. I mean, I could just go, I'll just use another piece of paper. Yeah. It's like I'm stacking Trace up, but you can be a little bit more intentional with it when you're in the software. Yeah. So digital sketching is still a thing. And what's nice about it is it's digital. Yeah. That offers you a lot more kind of flexibility with the way that we work nowadays because it's not all face to face. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of digital communication that's happening, just like we're recording this podcast, you know, you're 250 miles away from me right now. Yeah. And I'm looking at you and you're wearing all black. Yeah. I, uh, that's your thing. I think the other thing, like the difference between traditional hand sketching or whatever is you can get some assistance in digital sketching too. If I wanted to make sure every line I drew was straight. Oh yeah. I can set it up to, to make sure that all my lines are straight and those sorts of things, which gives it a little bit of a different feel or capability even. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's also not computer modeling. So it's, it's its own entity, I think. Well, speaking of computer modeling, and I mentioned SketchUp just a minute ago. There's also like render engines. Like when you do use software like SketchUp, which we do use it in my office extensively, almost 
all the architectural designers tend to use it. I know, but I, that software gets so much hate in academia. I don't understand it, but it certainly does. Yeah. I mean, it's got a bandwidth, but what it does when used correctly, it's great. Oh, yeah. I don't disagree. There's things that you can do that are... I have a guy in my office who could teach a master class, and he can design an office building and run it through a third-party render engine, which is really what this topic is about, is render engines. Yeah, sure. In like a day, there's like a, a legit, amazing-looking yeah. building. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I go, did you model her? He goes, no, 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 I just painted this mullion and glass pattern yeah, on there. exactly. There's ways that you can manipulate it. And it's like, this is an example of working smarter. But like, if you use SketchUp or even Revit, to be honest with you, especially when you partner with third-party applications like Enscape and Lumion and V-Ray, or you want to use like Twin Motion, which is another really awesome yeah. render program. And that's not even including the fact that there's a lot of third-party vendors that specialize in creating digital visualizations like Alex Hograve. You know, we had him on the show. Yeah. You know, you can kick them your Revit model and then they'll kick back to you this amazing, like that looks like that's actually built. Yeah. And you may not have to give them a lot of information either. They do all that stuff really well and, hey, it's made out of this, maybe. Or give me a bunch of different options and they'll kill it. I'm amazed. There's a couple different groups we work with. Like there's a couple groups we go, well, they do amazing stuff, so let's use them. And then there's like, they do really good stuff and it gets turned around crazy fast. Quick, yeah. And honestly, the one that we use, like a high-end production value the most, they're in China. Mm. And what works out great is they're off sync with us. So we work on it during our time, kick it to them. And then they work and we come in in the morning and it's like ready for the next wave of reviews. Time zone wise, it's there. It's wild. So the timing of that works out really well. But then you even have platforms, because we're still talking graphic types, like Revit and AutoCAD and Rhino and ArchiCAD. That's part of the graphic system that we use, graphic tools that we use to communicate. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And if I look at the number of hours in the office, like if I take a project and I say, how many hours do we spend working on this project? And how many hours do we spend in each phase? The design and schematic design phases do not eat the most hours. Yeah. It's not even close, really. Yeah, no, not at all. And you know what? It's probably almost 50-50 CDs to CA, construction documents to construction administration. Hmm. Would you go, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, do you just do bad drawings? No, settle down, everybody. It's because all those mistakes. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. No, it's because we can do the documentation for a, I don't know, a 125,000 five-story office building in three months, and it'll take them 11 months to build yeah, it. if not longer. And, and we're answering RFIs and supplemental drawings yeah. and answering questions and job site visits. And yeah. It's just different. In that three months, if you're dedicating 20 hours a week to it, but for 11 months, it's like well, two hours a week. That's really what it takes for those things to equal out time-wise. So each one of those that we kind of covered sketching, when it happens, it's kind of at the front end, kind of a little bit, you know, in the middle, a little bit at the end, certainly not during, well, I mean, I guess kind of it works all the time, to be honest with you. I mean, I've been in job site trailers sketching out solutions lots of times. Yeah, me too. I've done it on drywall, you know. Yeah. But I think the, the idea about these things we're talking about, they happen at different stages in the process. 
and they're more applicable. Very rarely, I would say that, right, you're doing like these full super duper renders during construction documents. It's not like every elevation of the package is Never. like, boo, this be beautiful rent. Nope. That's not how it works. Because those are not, those aren't conveying construction instructions. Those are just aesthetic images that give an idea to the client. Most of the time, I don't know that any contractors really care about those that much, right? It doesn't happen. No. And I will say one of the things that is interesting is I see a lot more axonometric and Mm -hmm. perspective drawings making their way into construction drawing sets, which that never happened when we were hand drawing stuff or even when we were doing AutoCAD work. Early AutoCADing stuff. Yeah, I know. Now. Or you might have one 3D drawing that you did that was all, it was essentially constructed as a perspective. And it was like, we had one I know that was a roof scupper detail because that was the best way to understand it. And so that sucker just kept getting copied yeah. and pasted in every project where we had it. You know, it was like, yep, that's the one. That's over the one. and over. Well, you know, I'm not technical enough to have this type of conversation for the length of an entire show. But even in our, we have a, a very robust interiors group mm-hmm. in our company. I mean, they represent probably a third of the number mm-hmm. of employees mm-hmm. that we have. And the work that they do, a lot of times they go into spaces that, something else was already there and we're uh going to redo that space. I mean, we do, you know, repositioning work and, and, and new tenant build out. Yeah. Renovations and remodels and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That sort of thing. We'll end up taking photos that we took and we'll actually grid them out on a page as if we drew them and put notes on it to help understand, Hey, keep this, get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause I go, it just, it's so much easier. Yeah. And everybody understands it. So it's not like, oh, the interior designers are being lazy. It's the contractor sees it and they go, oh, yeah, there that is. It's super easy for me to understand. You like want me to move that pipe right there. Yeah, we've done that. Easy. I used to do that for like demo stuff. Just take a picture. Then I can just make notes over it. You got to demo this part out from here to there. And I'm not having to measure. Oh, it's exactly soffit to come over four feet, four inches. It's like, well, where it lines up with that, break it off. Yeah. You know, this is a lot of sequence, but this is a story you might not even have heard. Uh-oh. We were making a comment about sketching during construction. Oh, uh-huh. And this would have been maybe 1996. And my first three years out of school, all I did was retail. Mm-hmm. We did Genesis Design Retail. So you had a retail concept or a new store. We would come up with the conceptual, like, this is how you're going to do it. And then, if things were good, we'd do the rollout on it. Mm -hmm. And so, it was a good job on one hand for somebody right out of school because I didn't have to worry about keeping water out of the building. Like, well, I say it was good for someone coming out of school if you thought you were a designer. Yeah. Because I learned how to manage projects and put job drawings together and to detail things. But I didn't have the liability of the building falling down or leaking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, it was just me and my boss. And my boss would go, okay, see you in a week. And I would just do these entire sets by myself with no knowledge or background and just kind of looking at it and puzzling my way through it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of mattered the fact that I didn't have to worry about something falling mm-hmm. through the roof. Well, when I took my second job, one of the projects we got was to redesign the Dallas Cowboys Pro Shop out mm-hmm. at the old stadium. Mm-hmm. Do you know this story? Okay, you finish it then. No, 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 I'm not going to finish it. I don't believe you. I don't believe you know this one. 
I think I do, but go ahead. That job from the time we started to the time we finished was like 27 days. That's like design it, draw it, build it, stock it. Build it, construct, yeah, a month, yeah. And I spent probably half that time on the job site drawing details on the wall as they were building it. They're like, what are we doing? Okay. And I would just take like Mm -hmm. a carpenter pencil and start drawing it on the wall or on a piece of garbage. I don't know why I didn't draw it on paper. (laughs) I mean, I I don't know why that didn't happen, but it seemed like all this stuff was being drawn on pieces of wood and, and drywall and stuff like that. And they got it done, you know, building off these details that I drew on sheetrock. Mm-hmm. In 27 days. My thank you was tickets to a football game on the 50-yard line. How do you like those apples? Ah, nice. That's pretty good. It turned out to not be a lot of fun, the... to be honest with you. Oh. Because my tickets, even though they were on the 50-yard line, there was like row one, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Well, because the Cowboys are so popular, they, and because Jerry Jones is a business genius, he added two more rows. He had like a zero and a double zero. Oh. So my my seats were double zero on the 50. So you couldn't see because everybody was in football team was the in front of you. Players. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like you couldn't yeah. like they're standing up and you're like I can't see if you're I sit like down. Looking through the cracks to try to Yes. So you would stand up so you could see, but all the people that had the tickets behind us on the 50, those people have had those tickets forever. Yeah. Right? Like you can't just get tickets on the 50. Mm-hmm. You got to buy seat options and buy the tickets. And they were all old and they were mad at us for standing up and they're yelling. Yes. Yep. They're yelling us. And yep. I was like, this is not a lot of fun. Yeah. This is not the spectacular idea. I thought it was going to no, be. No. So that was a rabbit hole, but I just thought it'd be fun. Cause I thought, mm, I haven't told that story. I don't think the last section before we get to the ranking section, which is truly the last section. And this is a wild card for sure, but I think it's an interesting aspect. I'm going to get deep on you for a minute okay? about something that's not deep at all. And it has to do with the role of social media where architectural graphics are concerned. And I know you're thinking to yourself, where's this going? Well, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. So again, since it seems to be a topic tonight, nowadays, it seems like Architecture students, they come to class during class hours, but when class hours are over, they leave. And while that's not unilaterally and universally true, there's a lot of truth to it. I have no shortage of evidence of people calling and telling me and emailing and that kind of stuff that they do most of the work in their apartment or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, the studio culture is not what it used to be because you're not tied to that space to get your work done. Yeah. A hundred percent of the work I did in architecture school was in the studio. Oh, yeah. I was there crack of dawn, both because I worked up until the crack of dawn and because I got there at the crack of dawn. Mm. But part of what that culture provided was if I wasn't drawing something very good or I wasn't stylistically very adventurous or doing anything you know that was like really interesting, I could look at the guy next to me or the woman across the hall, you know, and they're drawing something, and I go, wow, that looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And it would push me to hijack their style a little bit, quite honestly. <laughs> I'd go, I yeah. can't put up my drawings if they look terrible and theirs looks amazing. But you would see how somebody would draw a line. You're like, oh, how do you do that? And they go, oh, I rotate the pencil in my fingers as I pull it across. Or, 
or crossing your lines at the corner instead of trying to make them match up perfectly. Like there's mm-hmm. thick tick marks at the end of the line, start of a line. Like there's all these little graphic things that we used to do when we were hand drawing mm-hmm. that nobody ever taught anybody, but they were just kind of like all hijacked from everybody who was working on stuff around the studio. Yeah. One person knew how to do it, so everybody else figured it out. And that was transferred to everybody had some little trick. Generations and generations. It just continues to evolve. Yeah. And so by the end of it, everybody kind of had the same tricks, but it was because we were all in the same space. All kind of learning the same stuff. Stealing one trick from all 15 other people in the class. So the students aren't getting the benefit of that now, other than when they pin up and they see it and they're like, ooh. But what they have that we didn't have is they have Instagram, where there is literally no shortage of creative graphic examples on display 24 hours a day, 8 billion posts a minute. Mm -hmm. And I use Instagram a lot. It makes me feel awesome and terrible at the same time, (laughs) which I think we can all understand. But I don't follow a ton of people. I don't do it because I'm a jerk. I don't do it because I don't want to feel like I'm creeping on pictures of your family and your dog. Like if I don't know you, that's kind of one of the things. Like I need to engage with people a little bit. Hmm. So most of the stuff I follow tends to be people whose accounts are really specific towards what it is that they do. There's no mix of I went out to dinner with my family photos kind of mixed into there, quite honestly. And on the website, we've had a couple of posts. We have quite a few, actually. But we had three different posts that were somewhat related. Actually, they were very related to drawing. We did like, here's amazing Instagram feeds to follow for sketching. It wasn't specific to architecture. It was just sketching. And that's because I go, well, this guy's drawing moon bases. You can learn something from how he puts his drawings together. Mm-hmm. This is a person who does animate. You can learn how they do layers or how they use pen weight on the outsider. This is the version of being in studio and stealing other people's methods and tricks and techniques. Yeah, and for sure. I do that like crazy. In fact, I think I might have told this to you right before we got on the show. I frequently will screenshot somebody's drawing and then try to recreate it in an effort to learn the technique that they're using to create that drawing. Hmm. I did that just last week. Yeah. I don't do it as much as I would like to, but. Well, I was on vacation, so I had some time. Yeah. So this is kind of how I spent some of my vacation. But one of the things I was kind of curious to know is I go, if I showed this guy's picture that I basically stole and then copied <laughs> yeah, 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 and did like, here's his and here's mine, would they be flattered or would they be mad mm. or indifferent? Yeah. I mean, none of them would look at it and go, wow, that's better than what I did. Like yeah. none of them. But the fact that they go, oh, he liked it enough to try to go, how did he do that? How can I copy that? How can I emulate pen weight? And part of it's also... I'm doing this in Morfolio. So part of it's just me continually trying to learn how to use that software better. Mm-hmm. Understand my pens and pen weights and like, you just got to do it over and over again. It's practice. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm debating whether or not I'll share it. I've done that before. There was a, I'm not sure, Far East guy. I think he's Chinese. And he does these really amazing fountain pen sketches. So it's not a lot of pen weight. And wherever he does get weight, it's because of hatches and shading. Mm -hmm. And man, he just whips these things out. 
And I tried to copy a couple of them. I could probably show that one. I don't think he would care. Maybe I'll show him. I don't know. I don't want to embarrass myself either. <laughs> That's my thing. Is like, I'm, even if I'm doing that, I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on that. You know, I can say for sure that students actually, in some of my studios, I actually force my students to try to pick a graphic representation style. Oh, yeah. To say, all right, look, especially for like my final study students, these master's thesis students that I'm working with, part of this semester and even part of last semester is like, you got to pick a graphic style and kind of stick with it because this whole year's worth of effort when it comes together needs to seem cohesive. It doesn't need to seem like your brain was doing one thing and here's this graphic style and you know, it was doing something different for this part and for that. Like the idea is that trying to make a complete unified product and in doing so you need to pick out a style of some kind. I don't care what it is, but then everything that we're developing follows into that style and it might be a combination of things or something, but there got to be some consistency because there's nothing worse than, and I, it happens a lot with students who are just like, oh, well. I like the way that looks. That's a cool render. Now I'm going to do that one. And then this render is going to be in a completely different style with 80 different colors. And then I'm going to do a different one that's just all black and white line weight. And like when they put it up or pin it up, it's who did this? You know, how many different people worked on this? Right. And so, I mean, I think part of that is because of the ability to find so many different ways to represent things that it's almost too much. They haven't developed a filter yet. And sometimes I try to force a filter on it that I say, look, I know it may be just be this semester, but choose this one and work on that this semester. And that's how you're going to work. You know, it's kind of funny to hear you say that because on a scale of one to 10, if before I started, I was a one and I'm a 10 now. I'm not saying that my 10 is the 10. I'm just saying yeah. it's, it's my 10. I'm the best sure. I've ever been right now. I'm as good as I've ever been. Sure. So one to, to my 10, if I go back and look at the sketches that I did that I can find I should add, from college. And mm. my sketches really haven't changed in style that much. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some things that are little nuanced differences, but sure. I feel pretty confident that going back to mid-90s, certainly since my buddy John Cathal taught me how to mm -hmm. do a couple of hit-go-hit moves, yeah, my style hasn't changed despite the fact that I practice other styles with some regularity. Yeah. I mean, but you're talking about hand drawing. Yeah. For me, it's more like rendering styles. It's more about the computer augmentation of their drawings or that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit different. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question on that because you were talking about, I'm assuming that's on one project. So when they pin it up, they're like, they have five renders on the wall and each five looks like it was done by a different person. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that you're like, oh, that's not a good way to do it as opposed to I've got five projects over the course of the semester and each one of my five projects might look different. That's okay. Yeah, that's totally fine. Like that yeah. I would encourage, but it's like within one project and I'm pinning it up on the wall, I don't need five renders that look five different ways. You know, with this one, we did watercolor. This one, we did all black and white. This one, no, because that's disruptive. Yeah. It makes things hard to understand. Well, you know, the reason why I kind of want to get some clarity to that is because we actually... I interviewed a guy coming out of school, good guy, good kid, made him an offer. Hmm. And he's, he's the, I'll let you know, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. That's fine. Cause like, this is pretty early. He came to us. He's a heat seeking missile. Hmm. So 
we interviewed him like in, in December and he's not graduating until May. And he, uh, that's yeah. like when he wants to get hired. Yeah, sure. He's fishing. Yeah. So he's like, look, I want to come to work in Dallas. So we said, all right, well, we'll follow up with you at the first of the year because we'll have a better idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. We followed up. We're like, yeah, there's no reason to wait. He's a good kid. I liked him. And so I go, let's make him an offer. And he's like, okay, thanks. Great. I'll let you know like middle of February because I'm about to have my career fair. And I just, yeah, you know what? I respect him for that because yeah, you should see what your options are. But in his portfolio, all of the renderings were exactly in the same style, Mm. which tells me, you know, he clearly went back to his old projects and redid all the renders. Redid them. Yeah. So there's no evolution to his work. And part of me goes, it's kind of like if I give you something and it's the same every time and you don't like that thing, you're always unhappy. Yeah. So he's put all his eggs in the bag that I'm going to like this one render style he's got. One thing. You know what? I didn't dislike it. I didn't love it, but I would have liked to have seen some evolution when I'm looking at his student work rather than sure everything looks like it was cut from the same data, whatever that the ice core, like everything is taken oh. from the exact <laughs> same swath. Yeah. Right? There's, there's no difference between it all. And again, that's not what I'm proposing. I'm just saying within a project, I tell my students, Focus on one this semester or this project. You can do something different for the next project or the next semester, but just don't try to cross within a single project. Sure. That's what's weird. Sure. I'm all for not having them all look the same. Don't experiment within the same same project. Experiment anytime you want. Okay. So I'm going to put a bow on the graphics conversation we talked about different types of graphics and when you would use them and why they would be different things that you should consider. And one of the things we start off by saying, which we never really revisited and that it matters choosing when you're going to do what and how you're going to do it and why you're going to do it should be a conscious decision. And there's times when I don't want to use Revit drawings when I'm showing concept designs for the most part. I don't like it. I like to use more visually oriented graphics. It's a time when sketching's right. There's a time when render engines are right. You know, at some point we should probably talk about video. Sure. And the role that that plays and like when is it appropriate and you know, a lot of the stuff there's clearly front end stuff and there's clearly back end stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you can't use them. We haven't even really talked about I mean you kind of mentioned it. We haven't even talked about post production, like graphics for getting a job or displaying your work once it's complete. Which is like photographs and diagrams and things like that, which comes into play. Yeah. To me, that's a whole other thing. That's got to be a different topic for sure. Yeah. Let's move on to the last section of the show because we're coming up on it. And it's the rank. Remember I told you that I had an epiphany and I had a bunch of like good ones that were not food related? Was this one of them? Yeah, of course oh, it okay. was. All right. Yeah. And this is how you turned it into six? Or a four. Or no, no, no. It just happens that this one could okay. be. Could right. be. I got gotcha. you. So we're going to do a top three ranking, and it's going to be 100% electric, <laughs> but probably 70% divisive. Because I asked this question to a couple people, and they all had the, like, what kind of reaction? Yeah. Like, even when I told you, you're like, well, I'm going to have to go look some stuff up. I realized I didn't have to, but we'll see. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. And, and what I'm hoping is that you drilled in to an appropriate level. That's what I'm not sure I did. 
Okay, well, I did, which is fine because mm. I came up with questions. So, of course, I know exactly what it is that I was looking for. Sure. So, I might force your hand when you go, and I go, nope, that's too broad. You got to drill in. You're going to okay. have to drill in. Okay. That's what I was concerned about. I was yeah. going broad. I'm, I went broad. Yeah, don't. Right. You've known me long enough to go, I'm the drill in guy. Yeah, I suppose. I'm not the broad guy. Okay, so here we go. Here it is. What we're ranking in today's show is the top three summer Olympic sports. Because you know eventually there's going to be a worse three, and that one's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> but I thought, yeah. let's keep it positive, right? Still new year, new you kind of thing. And that's the one I'll have to do the Googling for, I think, to find the worst. Okay, so in that vein, mm -hmm. we're talking about, you just said sport, right? I did. That doesn't mean event. If I said, okay, I don't know. It's just not very interesting if I say track and field. Okay. All right. Right. Like, really? Okay. So if it was track and field, it's got to be like 110 meter hurdles or the 100 that's meter yes. dash or whatever. Yes, because okay. that's, that's better. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I'm, I may have to. Okay. Look, even though I asked the question, I'll go first so that you can. No, I can, I can manage. My first one's fine. Okay, what's your number three? I can do number three because it's a sport. It's basketball. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, that's just because, I mean, I play basketball all my life, at least all my youth and in college and stuff. And so basketball, I still, the way I thought about this was, all right, I'm not a huge, like, if the Olympics are on, I'm glued to the television kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's not how I interact with the Olympics anymore. Sure. I guess. Yeah, I got it. But I was like, but if this was on, I would sit down and watch. And so You'd want to see it. Yeah. Basketball is number three. If that was on or... I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch those, those games. So that's kind of the thought process. That was my same criteria. I go, ooh, if they go, on deck tonight is these 15 things. I'm like, that's the one I want to see. Yeah, exactly. I can do that. Now, there might be others. Like, I like the basketball. You know, some of the fun has been removed, like, when they first let in the pro players and they just, like, demolished everybody. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Now it doesn't seem as awesome as it used to be because everyone's gotten better and our guys are like, whatever, this is so easy. We're so great. They kind of like barely squeak by on a couple of them. You know, it's mm. just, just different. Yeah. I watch, a, I love the Olympics. I love all that stuff. Ah, okay. But um, basketball is something I like watching, but it's not a lockdown one for me. But see, but for me, it may not even be when the U.S. is playing. Sometimes it's the other games I like to watch because they're, they are more interesting. To me. Like Spain versus Australia. France. Yeah, or something. Yeah, right? Like, I can watch those games. And it's, that, those right. are interesting. Okay. That's my number three. Okay, my number three is, I got to be careful I say this because it sounds creepy, but it's the women's gymnastics, the vault. Hmm. Okay. It's all or nothing. Like, mm. <laughs> I mean, like, if you get a good score, you, like, did amazing. Or... You almost killed yourself. I mean, <laughs> there's so much hanging on. Like all the other ones, they have like a hundred moves they're doing. This, they're charging full speed down. They like do three backflips, hit a diving board, and just hope that they don't like shoot off into the crowd. <laughs> yeah, it all comes down to like 0.2 seconds of time. Yes. I gotcha. There's so much drama to it. So I like a lot of the gymnastic events, quite honestly. But the vault, you kind of like, they're running, pop, 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 pop. And you're just like, oh, God, I hope they make it. Like, it's just, it's, oh. Yeah, yeah. See, balance beam could have been on there, but mm. that's too stressful. Interesting. 
I find that too stressful. Yeah, especially when they start flipping. I'm like, oh, God, don't hurt yourself. Well, I can follow into that because my number two was gymnastics Mm -hmm. as my broad category. But Yes, it's too broad. But if I have to narrow it, it's actually women's floor, women's tumbling, like women's floor gymnastics. Yeah. Is my number two because, man, I love that stuff. When they do the diagonal, the full diagonal approach and they boom, 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 and they do 15 flips and then they go up and it's three flips with a back twist and this and they land and it's stuck and you're like, yes. Those I like. That's always great. I always amaze that they need every inch of the corner. Mm-hmm. Like when they put their feet in the corner and they're not supposed to step out. Yeah. They're as close to the line as possible. Then they run and do their 13,000 backflips. Yeah. And when they land, it's like they're one step away yeah. from the, a corner on the other diagonal side. Yeah. Or, you know, when they accidentally backstep out, everybody's like, oh, you know, I know. that kind of stuff. It's like we forgot that they just did like 13,000 backflips. And you're like, <laughs> I know, right? They just like took one a step. step. They screwed up. <laughs> but it's also because I used to be, when I was a really little kid, I took gymnastics all the time. <clears throat> but yeah, I love that. The all around competition things where they do that at near the end of the whole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the best. I will sit there. I will be glued to the TV during that. Stuff. It is, you know, because vaults first. In the order they do it, vault's the first one. Yeah. Okay. This might throw you off. All right. My number two. Badminton? No. No. Even though that's fun to watch. It's kind of crazy. Mm. Number two is the men swimming four by 100. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because America's been good, but man, they go against the Australians and it's like, it's neck and neck. And these are, everyone's like just a world beater. They're like all amazing. Yeah. And it's just, and they're so hyped. Like even those guys, they're so competitive as a group. They're competitive people to begin with, or they wouldn't have gotten that far. Sure. But somehow the hype of the four is greater than the sum of the four individuals. Hmm. They overhype each other and they're just going bonkers. So that is definitely, I don't want to miss that one ever. Is that the medley or do you want just the? It's the medley. Okay. I love it. I like swimming too. Swimming is another one of my, if I was going to do a broad category, that was another one where like I watch most of the swimming when it happens. Yeah. Swimming's a good one. Yeah. So (sighs) number one, this should be easy. This should be like so painfully obvious. Really? Yes. It is the signature Summer Olympic sport, like the number one. It's the moneymaker. I bet I don't have it. It's not my, It's not what I picked. You would know. What I have on here, you would know that that's the one. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about it that way. I just think about what I like to watch. I mean, I have a feeling I know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I like to watch this one, too. I'm with everyone else in the world except who's not named Andrew Hawkins, apparently. 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 Now you're making me decide if I want to change my answer to to what to what it's to the one to be. the one that's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because I have a feeling that it's track don't, and field, track no, and field don't related. Guess it. Don't guess it. Either no. go with the one that you were going to go with, not the one that I'm pressuring you into going with. That's fine. For me, it was going to be men's high dive, like platform. Yeah, I really like the platform or the springboard, but I like the platform because they're. 17 stories up and it's do a bunch of flips and if they splash at all if there's one drop of water that comes up after they're done they they it was a terrible dive yeah. i just like all that again this ties them. i used to do a lot of swimming and diving and so i like that stuff that is a very very interesting number one i never would have seen that one coming 
ever. I know. I know what the one you're going to say or what you think it should be, but. Yeah. Number one, obviously, is the 100 meter dash. 100 meter dash. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. I don't know. I find it anticlimactic always. What? Yeah. I don't know. Because there's not enough build up to it because it, it's over so fast? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, because it is. It's done so fast. I mean, the last couple of times I've watched it, it hasn't been. Let me rephrase. When Usain was there, it was like, oh, well, that's not really a question. That dude's going to smoke everybody smiling like he's jogging. And looking at him as, yeah, he, know, as yeah, he's beating him. Running backwards, you know. <laughs> so it was like, meh. But I get it. There's a lot of hype around it for sure. Yeah. I mean, essentially, that means you're the fastest person in the world. Yes. That's amazing. I mean. Yeah. There's so much around that. Yeah. And what's crazy about it is that's a type of sport to where you don't need anything. Like the most amazing people in the world, it's not like they're coming from like the Jamaicans are awesome. Oh, and yeah, they're on yeah. a little tiny island with hardly any inhabitants. Yeah, and they have like the most amazing runners in the world. What do you need to run? Your infrastructure doesn't really matter. You just outside—that's <laughs> what you need. Granted, those people aren't—they're not training in Jamaica, though. I mean, they're training somewhere else. No, of course they're not. But but yeah. It's the idea that you don't have to have all the specialty equipment and like... It's an equalizer. Yes. I get that. And it's not like a marathon where you're like, oh, the Kenyans win because of where they live and how their lungs function and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, they get that even though they all... Everyone comes to Colorado to train, it seems like. Yeah. But it's one of those things you kind of go, man, that's one of the things I like about soccer in a lot of ways. It's just go outside. That's what you need. Yeah. <laughs> you need outside. That's That's what you need. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 100 meter dash, in my mind, is the king. I mean, I get it. I get it. But it, to me, it's just, again, it's almost, I don't know if it's because it, it is just done. I mean, like, it doesn't last hardly at all. And we spend the whole three weeks talking about it. And you sit there and it's like, bang, uh, over. <laughs> I still love it. I almost put on here, and I debated it, the women's four by 100. Oh, uh-huh. I, mean, I like a lot of the track and field. Oh, yeah. I love all that stuff. So, well, there you go. I think we've reached the point where I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 117, Graphic Matters. Special thanks to our sponsor, Peterson, which manufactures pack-clad architectural metal cladding systems. Visit pack-clad.com to learn more. In addition, special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you can get alerted every two weeks when we publish a highly polished new episode. While you're there, please take a few moments and leave us a five-star, graphically delicious rating. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this wonderful episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your voice and join the conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.